Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. And my guest today is Josh Fox, founder of the Brady Hunter Foundation. Based in Miami, the Brady Hunter Foundation is a nonprofit whose mission reflects a commitment to helping in animal cruelty, protecting wildlife, and making a positive impact on the lives of children. In just a little over a year of existence, the foundation has forged an alliance with a dizzying array of organizations, a multitude of good operations doing good work located from South Florida to South Africa. Recently, in fulfillment of at least one facet of their mission, the Brady Hunter Foundation funded the purchase by Animal Survival International of 10 state-of-the-art collars enabled with AI. The Brady Hunter Foundation and ASI have joined forces in a collaborative effort to combat the legal hunting and poaching of animals in the Addo Elephant National Park in South Africa to further amplify their conservation efforts. These collars will play a crucial role in the real-time monitoring and detailed data analysis of rhinos and elephants better protect them against poaching attempts in the park. We'll hear about the AI callers, how they aim to mitigate elephant rhino poaching, and lots more about the Brady Hunter Foundation's wide-reaching efforts and its history. I speak with Josh Fox in a moment here on Talking Animals on WNF. More about today's show presently, but first a couple of programming notes. Next Wednesday, I'll be away tied to interviewing Temple Grandin at the Paramount Theater in Austin, so the wonderful Bev Capshaw will host this show in my absence, and that being... Valentine's Day, I know, know she's prepared a special show. Her statement is here that she sent over just a moment ago. It's Talking Animals celebrates We Love the Animals on Valentine's Day. Join the conversation with your story of the animals that make a difference in your life. This will be an uplifting hour of comedy, stories, and music featuring some Talking Animals' greatest hits. So again, that's next Wednesday, February 14th on Talking Animals on WMNF. Then two weeks from today, February 21st, WMNF's Winter Fun Drive begins. Talking Animals will be fundraising that day, but I'm typically assigned such a gigantic goal. We need early pledges to succeed in making that goal. So starting today, we hope you'll consider making a pledge of any dollar amount by visiting WMF.org. Click on the Donate button and be sure to indicate your donation is in support of Talking Animals. And as always, we'll have exclusive thank you gifts for donations of various levels, including an awesome pair of tickets to the Bob Dylan concert at Ruth Eckert Hall on March 5th. Meanwhile, coming up later in today's program, I'll speak with Jan Leland librarian at Rocky Bluff Library, a branch of the Manatee County Library System, where they're holding the Barkler, the dog adoption event, inspired, they say, by the drama and excitement of a similarly named dating show taking place this Saturday, February 10th, from noon to 3 p.m. The adoptable dogs on hand will be for Manatee County Animal Welfare. We'll hear about how those attending can meet the most eligible dogs and other details when Jen Leland joined us a bit later in the show. Right now, the Let's Talk the Brady Hunter Foundation with its founder, Josh Fox, with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. Let's welcome Josh Fox to Talking Animals on WMF. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. How are you? Great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. Sorry about all the blabby buildup, but we've got that fun drive coming, and that's kind of a big deal around these parts, so uh, got to make our plea while we can. There's nothing I like talking about more than children and animals. Okay, well, cool. So uh, as I noted in the opening, the Brady Hunter Foundation has moved swiftly in short order to support numerous organizations, including those that, that deal with children and animals. It feels like turbocharged philanthropy because you guys have moved so swiftly from your inception. So on the focus of much of this largesse has been, again, improving our circumstances for all kinds of animals, very much including wildlife. So I'd like to start by discussing animal welfare being a linchpin of the foundation. 
and discuss the origin of the foundation itself. My sense is we can kind of uh, achieve both by addressing your story. Where did you grow up and what did animals mean to you as a kid? The first picture I have of myself when I was in a crib, you know, with my parents was their dog. And the dog's tongue was literally bigger than my face. And that's the first picture I have of myself is a baby face with a big tongue of a dog, you know, covering my whole face. So I think, you know, I was born to be with animals. I was born to love animals. And I don't think there was a moment in my entire life where I don't like to call them pets because I think that's a bit of a word that is a bit derogatory. I really look at, at animals as family members. So, you know, we've had animal family members um, since the day I was born. There's never been a moment where I haven't had an animal family member. So how many dogs would you say you had before you left for uh, college? Um, my parents always had standard poodles. Okay. And um, I, I remember an article probably 25 years ago where my mom was actually doing pet therapy with these standard poodles because they're just so smart and caring and she would go to the children's hospital with our dogs and she would go to cheer up these potentially terminally ill children in the hospital so this is something that my mom instilled in me when i was a young kid and she had articles written in newspapers about the work that she was doing with pet therapy even when i was a young kid with these standard poodles Wow. So she was definitely well ahead of the curve, it sounds like. Yeah. And it's amazing. I mean, you just go all over and you can see joy and happiness in a human's face and in its emotions when it's around animals. For I mean, sure. that's been pro proven millions and millions and millions of times over. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, as you might imagine, kind of uh, at least one thesis of this show is exactly that, the impact that animals have on people and often vice versa. So once you sort of grew up and going out of the house, did you have a dog with you while you were in college and, and in school? I did. You know, I even had a dog in the fraternity house in college and... I got a lot of slack and a lot of uh, upset people that I, I kept a dog in my fraternity house in college, but I just loved animals so much and couldn't find time to be away from animals that I actually had the dog throughout college and in the fraternity house. Wow. Yeah, that, that would be unusual, but it sounds like you had such a history that you said, look, this is how I roll and this dog's going to be here in the frat house and everywhere else that I go. Yeah, and I'm a proud alum of the University of Michigan. You know, we just won the national championship this year at football. It was a yeah, congratulations. Year. Yeah. Um, so my sister went to Michigan and I went to Michigan. And I was at Michigan pretty much the same years that Tom Brady was there. And just, you know, always loved and respected, you know, what he did. And when I got a dog after graduating college, you know, I named him Brady in you know recognition of of tom i just you know always loved and respected him and you know went to college you know same years as him and uh, i was lucky enough to have brady for 16 years oh my goodness and you know he was a labradoodle a big big dog like 80 pounds and you know you find the big dogs don't necessarily live that kind of length of time for sure but a after 16 years of being my absolute best friend um, when he passed about two years ago I knew right away that I wanted to do something in his memory. I wanted to do something to have a legacy for my best friend, Brady. And that's when I thought about two years ago about starting the Brady Hunter Foundation. Hunter is my other dog who, thank God, is still alive. He's with me uh, laying on the floor as I'm on the call. He's always with me. Okay. He's 12 years old. So the, you know, the, the genesis of the name Brady Hunter was my dog Brady that passed away and Hunter who's still around. That's great. 
Yeah, because uh, I guess the, at no point did you think, hey, I'm going to call this the Josh Fox Foundation. I'm going to name it after uh, the dogs that kind of have inspired it. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people of the listeners can say that their animals have taken them through some highs and lows and lows and highs in their life. And, uh, you know, when you're having a, re a really rough day or you're having an argument with a family member, you know, the one steadfast is that your dog or your cat or your family member pet, you know, just always seems to be there for you runs to the door and greets you and just, you know, maybe makes your bad day good because you get to see your animal. Yeah, it's the textbook case of uh, unconditional love, right? Exactly. So let me let folks know who might just be tuning in or might have just tuned in. This is Talking Animals on WMF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you did just tune in, my guest is Josh Fox, founder of the Brady Hunter Foundation, a nonprofit whose mission reflects a commitment to helping in animal cruelty, protecting wildlife, and making a positive impact on the lives of children. In just a little over a year of existence, the foundation has forged alliances with a, uh, a dizzying array, really, of organizations. If you have a question for Josh or would like to offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663. Email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. So it sounds like in the last couple of years or so is when you started thinking, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something in tribute of, of Dylan and, and Brady, obviously, even a, a before that. So did you have something specific in mind or did this kind of gradually take shape? Um, I did. You know, in living in New York City for decades, um, one of the issues that really, really bothered me, and I know it bothers a lot of other people, is the horse carriages. And I just think it's an antiquated um, industry. It's an antiquated system. And there's just no reason why in these big metropolitan cities, why we need, you know, horses to pull a carriage. You know, there's such great alternatives that we are trying to introduce as an electric carriage, which would allow these horses to be retired to a sanctuary and live a better life. And there's lots of cities in America and lots of cities around the world that still use horses in metropolitan cities. And this is a big topic, and this is a topic that a lot of people agree with me that they would like to see these horses not used anymore in major cities to pull tourists. For sure. So is that partly kind of what drove you to say, hey, I'm going to do something and it's going to deal with horse carriages and perhaps other issues, and then I'm just going to figure out what exact form it's going to take? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're not an organization that wants to take on one project at a time. And we're an organization that's taking on literally, you know, 50 plus projects at once. And there's just so many of them. You know, I live, I'll just give you a quick example. Like, you know, I live in Southern Florida and early on in the foundation, we met an organization called the South Florida Wildlife Center. And I was amazed. We walked in there and we got to the point where we were actually witnessing a turtle um, in, in the middle of surgery. And this turtle had been hit by a car and it was brought into the wildlife center. And I was so sad. I was like, wow, this turtle's going to die. And the veterinarian said, no, no, to the contrary, we'll be able to amputate a portion of the turtle's leg. And in a couple of weeks, we'll be able to release this turtle back into the wild and it will be able to live a very normal life with like three and a half legs. And I literally was in tears. I was just so amazed that there's someone that could do this and rehabilitate, rescue and, you know, put back into the wild. 
So we said to the organization, like, how could we help you? Like, we love the work that you're doing. It's impactful. It's immediate. And they said they only had one ambulance. And they said if they had a second ambulance that they could go take these calls, you know, they would be able to save double the amount of animals. And it was less than a couple of days where we got together as a group, the Brady Hunter Foundation, and we decided to buy them a second ambulance. And not only buy them a second ambulance, we decided to pay the salary for the first year for the driver of the ambulance. And we get pictures and videos all the time of our ambulance on the road, picking up animals, bringing them back to the home base, and then releasing them back to the wild once they are rehabilitated. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we're doing, making immediate impacts on lots and lots of animals. Yeah, well, and speaking of immediate impact, as I kind of alluded to, seems like once the Brady Hunter Foundation was formed, you guys just sort of jumped in headlong into helping all kinds of organizations. This example that you just gave, the South Florida Wildlife Center. I mean, when I visited the foundation website, BradyHunter.org, and clicked on the section Causes We Support, there were so many organizations presented. It required scrolling, scrolling, scrolling that my hands started to cramp. There's just that many organizations that you guys are already helping. So when before you launched it, was, was that kind of part of the... Uh, the intent was like, hey, we're not just going to like ease into this. We're going to like hit the ground running with as many helping as many organizations that, that fulfill our mission as possible. Exactly. Yeah, we wanted to find partners and organizations that were already established that with a contribution of time and money from us would be able to make bigger impacts. So talk a little bit about the number and types of organizations that you do support. I mean, obviously you gave it a great example of the South Florida Wildlife Center, but there are, again, there are so many, so obviously you probably can't address anywhere near all of them, but maybe just to give kind of a sampling of, of, of the ones that uh, the Brady Hunter Foundation does support and help. Yeah, and our tagline is is two taglines. One, all species are created equal. We don't see a difference between a pig or a goat or a horse or a butterfly versus a human. You know, we believe that all species deserve to live a safe life. Right. And then our other tagline is we are the voice of the voiceless. And we believe the vulnerable are young children and animals that don't really have a voice. So what we decided to try to do was bring those things together. And we met this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person, Dr. Blair, who is a Harvard uh, graduate and she started the lucky horse sanctuary in florida you know we're here in florida mm -hmm. and every single animal that she's rescued she has over 70 different animals on her sanctuary has a story where they were being abused and mistreated and she rescued these animals and gives them a wonderful safe place to live and so what we've been doing at the brady hunter foundation is we've been working with homeless shelters here in florida to bring children to the Lucky Horse Sanctuary. So we've now had two of these where we bust um, the children and sometimes their parents into the Lucky Horse Sanctuary and we allow them hours of time where they are able to spend time with animals that they may have never had in their entire life, like with the horses and the alpacas and the chickens. And it's really, really 
it's a dual purpose, right? The animals love the soothing of the children and the children love the soothing of the animals. And we bring in a pizza truck and we bring in an ice cream truck. And it's just been a beautiful few times that we've done this already. And it's just been huge hits of bringing children, homeless children to these animal sanctuaries. And it sounds like it's it's a example of the intersection of sort of two pillars of your mission, right? Helping make, having an important impact on children and helping wildlife or animals of other kinds. Yeah, and the two organizations we've done it so far with is uh, the Lotus House and Chapman Partnership. That's great. So, what are some other just just because people listening may not have had a chance to be familiar previous to today to the Brady Hunter Foundation. So when I kind of keep emphasizing the huge number of organizations that you guys are supporting, maybe you could just cite a few more examples just to kind of give us a little bit more of a cross-section of, of who all is supported. So when I first moved to Florida approximately four years ago, um, there were many walks that I was doing on the beach with my dog Hunter. And I was just blown away and so saddened by all of the plastic and garbage that had washed up on the shore on beautiful Florida beaches. And I just went out there every morning, 6 a.m., I would grab a garbage bag from my apartment and I would just walk the beaches with my dog and I would start to pick up garbage. And people looked at me like I was crazy. Like, who is this guy? Is he a bum? Like, why is he just picking up garbage? And I didn't care. I didn't even have gloves on. I wasn't using a picker. I was just using my hands. You know, for me, it was just like, let me get this plastic off the beach because it's not just about land animals. It's about our oceans. I mean, how many incredible species are in our precious oceans? And I was doing this by myself. And it got to the point where I said, what if I could get five people, 10 people, 20 people? I mean, the latest beach cleanup that we did here in Florida, we had about 200 people get together and we picked up 2,200, 2,200 pounds of trash and plastic off the beaches of Florida in maybe an hour and a half. Wow. And and it's like I'm saddened and I'm happy all at the same time because I'm like, hey, we just took 2,200 pounds of plastic and trash away from the shorelines. But it's just, I mean, imagine we could do this one day a year. Imagine we could do this twice a year and we could get Americans at a minimum or potentially around the world where people would just go to their local streams, their local, you know, beaches, their local lakes and just say, you know, for this day, we're going to get 10,000, 100,000, a million people who really just all we're asking for is one to two hours of people's time one or two times a year. I mean, think about the impact of how much trash and plastic we could pick up. Yeah. Well, also, too, that you're, 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 just the examples you've given, and I know there's plenty more, you're, you're, you're seeing immediate impact, right, when you had those uh, homeless children go to, uh, to the Lucky Horse Sanctuary, when you saw the beach clean up with 200 people and just the impact they can make in a relatively short time. So it must be super gratifying to say, here's something, let's try this. And it's huge results. We're trying to inspire people around the world, around the country to go do this for themselves. 
And we have a partner in volunteercleanup.org who's created essentially a software where you can go onto their website and, and actually create your own beach cleanup, your own you know plastic cleanup. And so we're just very proud to be working with them. And we're also trying to make it fun. So the latest one that we did, we actually got into kayaks. It was about 40 of us who got into kayaks and we kayaked to this island in Florida. And this is not an uninhabited island. And it was just amazing how much garbage and plastic was on this island. And we put it into bags. We brought it back onto the mainland and we discarded it. I mean, that beach cleanup with the kayaks yielded about 700 pounds. Wow. But everyone loved it. You know, we made it fun. Like, yeah, it's you know, like an outing. Thought, oh, I don't want to pick up garbage. I don't want to pick up plastic. Like we made it fun. Like most of the trip was like in a kayak on a beautiful day heading to this island. Yeah. You've never been in such a big hurry to pick up trash because it's going to be so fun. <laughs> so, uh, well, this all sounds great. Well, I got one email or question here. It's asking, is the lucky horse in Hastings, Florida or Coconut Creek? Coconut Creek. Okay, cool. Thank you. So, so a few of the things you mentioned have been sort of local or Florida things, and yet I know a lot of the organizations have kind of more of a global reach. Maybe you could describe one or two of those that are more international. Uh... Yeah, I mean, we definitely go way, way internationally. Um, so we are working with the Diane Fossey Foundation, which is in Rwanda, and they help with gorillas. And um, we purchased a vehicle. Um, it's the... Diane Fossey, you know, Brady Hunter vehicle. And this truck goes around the jungle and actually finds snares. Um, if you're familiar with these horrible things, they're like contraptions that trap beautiful animals like gorillas. Yeah, and they like break their yeah, they break their legs and they they can't leave. And so our vehicle goes around with our staff to find injured or trapped animals in the jungle and save these animals. And what, what, how do they detect those? Just uh, is there any kind of technology involved, or how do they realize that there's there's snares are there? Um, it's with our it's with our boots on the ground. It's our gorilla protection team, okay. and it's with our vehicle. It's with our vehicle that we purchased for them. Yeah. So you're just getting out and and about and just physically looking and and trying to see and remove any that you happen to come across. Yeah, and we met this really, this is just another example. We met this really interesting group of ex-Marines. And what they've been doing is they've been using drone technology to be able to use these drones to cover the area to see if there's any poachers or any injured animals. And we bought them a brand new uh, drone, a very, very state-of-the-art expensive drone so that they could do more work. And they've been using this drone to much of our advantage to uh, protect poaching and, and find injured animals. Wow, that's that's so. Great. And that that organization is called Vet Paw. Oh yeah, we've had Vet Paw on the show. Yeah, they do great work for sure. Again, this is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Josh Fox, founder of the Brady Hunter Foundation, a philanthropic organization supporting a multitude of good operations, doing good work, often involving animal welfare. And located, really, uh, their operations are from South Florida to South Africa. So we invite you to join the conversation by calling 
239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. So, uh, while we're kind of in more of our international focus here, maybe you could talk a little bit about um, what the Brady Hunter Foundation awarded to Animal Survival International and why. Yeah, I mean, like you're kind of mentioned it a few times now. It's like technology, you know, is there better ways, is there technology to be able to save more of these animals? And we met these great group of people who created these artificial intelligent collars. And we decided to purchase these collars. We started with five rhinoceroses and five elephants. And these artificial intelligence collars are being tracked at home base. Any time that the animal detects, the collar detects any kind of stress or issue with the animal, like we get an alert and we know right away, like within minutes we can be there. So it might detect a poacher. It might detect, you know, another animal that it's fighting with. Like could be a whole bunch of different things. But our AI collars are going to alert us instantaneously of any stress that the animal's under, which typically means there's a problem and we need to get out there. Yeah, I invited the um, Animal Survival International to submit a statement about this just because I thought this was, you know, so you hear so much about AI and a lot of times these days it's it's a mixed bag or kind of in a portrayed in a negative slant. So I thought, well, here's something that sounds fantastic using AI. So uh, I'm going to, we had a caller I want to incorporate into the conversation, but I'm just going to read some of the statements they they uh, submitted because one of the things that's important is the, the traditional callers that people used to use, uh, as they noted here, send geographical locations of animals and show the tracking of past movement. But apparently they say this data could be hours or, or even longer old. So it kind of allows poachers to sneak into reserves and kill the animals before the uh, parks anti-poaching units have the data to respond. Whereas, in contrast, these new groundbreaking AI collars are continuously monitoring animals' vital signs and even learning behavioral patterns via smart algorithms. So the, uh, the first sign, as you kind of noted, uh, Josh, of anxiety or abnormal activity, the AI tracker sends a real-time alert via network towers placed at various points across the park to anti-poaching units, which are dispatched immediately. And this shortens the response time from hours or days to a matter of minutes, and it's completely revolutionized the way uh, Addo's uh, anti-poaching units track, monitor, and protect endangered wildlife species. It is the difference between life and death for many of these endangered animals. So that's super cool and impressive, and that's, you know, what a great use of uh, AI technology. It all starts with people that care. You know, um, I think we live in a world where people are very, very, very busy. We live in a world where people have to prioritize their time. And I just wish there were more people in our world who truly cared about animals and were willing to, you know, give their time and their money and their heart. You know, you think about it, like we go out on our weekends, like we spend our weekends at Brady Hunter with our staff and our volunteers, like doing these beach cleanups. Like there's a million places on a Saturday or Sunday that we could be doing something other than a beach cleanup. But that's where we are because we care and we feel the impact and we want to, again, motivate and inspire other people. Yeah. And I, I bet you're finding that you are inspiring people in that way just by 
by just the classic doing by example. And um, I'm hoping people are sort of taking that the lead of the uh, the volunteercleanup.org thing and sort of setting up their own beach cleaning uh, activities and, um, you know, getting some, some trash and plastic off the beach. It's all about volunteers, you know what I mean? Like we need more people who will be willing to volunteer their time to support this. I mean, we also partnered with a wonderful, wonderful group here in Florida called uh, Feeding South Florida. Mm -hmm. And we decided to go get an 18-wheeler truck, a massive truck, where we have our logo and Feeding South Florida's logo on it. And every single month, we fill this massive truck up with food and we pick a city. Typically, we're at like a park or we're at a church. And I think the last one, we had over 500 cars lined up. I mean, it was like a mile long of cars that drove up. These are people with families and children that have food insecurity. And our truck packaged the, these bags, our volunteers packaged these bags of food, and we distributed it to 500 needy families in every single month. Wow. That's amazing. Let, let me get a caller involved. I think there's somebody else who'd like to be involved in the conversation. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Josh uh, Fox. Go ahead, please. It's you. Ah, okay, I guess we lost them. All right. Sorry, you had to hold there for a bit. But uh, if you do call in, we'll, we'll try to get you on as quickly as we can. So um, that's incredible, though, those, those, those kind of numbers of feeding those kind of families. And so speaking of that, and you talked about people's financial support and just obviously their time being critical. But how, you know, when you're purchasing vehicles and AI collars and stuff, how is the, um, the Brady Hunter Foundation funded? Oh, it's all funded by us. You know, we have not taken any outside donations to this point. So, so when you say by us, then where 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 did those initial funds come from? The, the leaders of the Brady Hunter Foundation. Okay, and how how many how many? Obviously, there's you, but how many other leaders are we talking about here? There's a few of us. And basically, people have just said, "Hey, we're going to put our." Uh, money into this to uh, be able to purchase vehicles, clean up the beach, uh, feed families, just do whatever comes along. Yeah. I mean, give back our time, give back our money. I mean, there's a million things you can do with your money, obviously. And for me, you know, being able to give back to the community, give back to animals, give back to children was something important to me. So I wanted to make, you know, personal contributions into the foundation. For sure. And it sounds like the other people that you talk about that are the leaders have done the same to get the initial uh, monies together to, to launch your, the organization. Yeah. And like what we envision in the future is like campaigns um, where we could elicit the public. We have never done that to date, but like, that's a vision of ours. Like we found out that there were 11 Sumatran rhinoceroses left in the world. That's it. 11 of them. And in order to take care of just one of these rhinoceroses, it, it requires like a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year just to, you know, house and feed one rhinoceros. Yeah. And so, you know, if we could do like online campaigns or, you know, fundraising where people feel like, wow, if I could save, 
and keep going one of the 11 Sumatran rhinoceroses in the world, you know, who wouldn't put in a hundred bucks or who wouldn't put in 500 bucks or something, whatever they could donate in order to, to do that. And that's something we've not, like I said, have not done, but I think as this thing has grown and grown and grown and we get contacted all the time by people all over the world that need help, you know, we would need to start eliciting, you know, others to help us. So the the website is bradyhunter.org, very simple and straightforward. So currently if people went there, there isn't a means to to uh, support the efforts financially and do- make a donation? There's no means to donate to our foundation at this point. Okay. But we'd love to hear from people and we'd love to get more volunteers. Sure. And we'd love to get people, you know, we, we continue to grow. I mean, like we're hiring right now. I think we need – you know, anywhere from one to three people more to come work at the foundation just based on all of the work that we have and all of the partners that we've done work with. Well, that's great to know. So, again, it's the uh, BradyHunter.org is the website. And I think we have, might have another caller here. Let's uh, see if they're here. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with the... Uh, Hi, Duncan. Josh. Hey, John. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. I was wondering, this position that he's asking for, do you have to go to that country then? And are any of the rhinoceroses, like the, the white rhinoceros that occasionally you hear about? So I, mean, I, I think I missed the, the initial part of your question. I'm sorry, can you repeat the first part? Well, he was saying that he was looking for employees to help out. Do you have to go to another country? Or is there? do you help out here in the United States? Oh, I see. Yeah. You probably not yeah, no. specific campaigns. I'm guessing it's probably the organization as a whole. But uh, go ahead, Josh. We got um, we're headquartered here in in Florida, in Southern Florida, and so we do a lot of our uh, events locally. But you know, I was in New York over the summer, and we organized a beach cleanup in New York. Um, I was in the Bahamas a couple of months ago, and we organized a beach cleanup in the Bahamas. So, you know, we would just ask you to look at our our events calendar and potentially join us. And again, if you're in a different city, like I don't know where you're located. Where where are you located? Clearwater. Oh, you're in Clearwater, Florida, right? Yes. Okay. So, you know, if you want to organize something closer to you, we'd be able to support you and potentially help you. Like if you wanted to do a food distribution or you wanted to do a beach cleanup or something like that, you know, that mirrors what we're doing in the Miami area. Like we can help and support you to get it done. Wow. That sounds great. Um, I have a, another concern. It doesn't involve rhinoceroses or beach cleanup, but I don't know if you've heard in Nevada, in the, in the Nevada basin that they're doing a lot of mining for lithium and it's destroying the habitat. When I lived in Nevada, it was big cat country. I don't know if you've ever seen a mountain lion or, you know, a big cat out there, a cougar. But they're amazing, amazing, beautiful animals. And they're really at risk right now with all the mining. They just gave out 50 new permits to do 50 brand-new mines right in the basin. And they're taking up all the water that these animals need to survive. And the, the other animals that they eat, you know, they also, you know, depend on that water, too. So I just wanted to bring that to everyone's attention. I'm glad you did. Yeah, unfortunately, we're we're seeing that all over the world. You know, there's only a fixed amount of land, you know, versus ocean in, in our earth. 
And every single time that they take over land or they, you know, do something, it inhabit it takes over the the natural land where there's just so many species. Yeah, and when you when you hear the governor talking, you know, in front of his constituents or you know while he's at work, I mean, he's like, yeah, you know, because it's going to give all these jobs to all these people, and I just find that so hard to believe because. I mean, the people that are doing these mines, I'm pretty sure they're already mining somewhere else. And when the ores get depleted, then they take their people that are already employed and they just go somewhere else and start drilling somewhere new. They're not going to hire any new people to drill new wells. That's that, that's just too too unbelievable to even fathom. Yeah, this is certainly problematic on, on a number of levels, and I'm glad you... Uh... Raise the point. Thank you very much. Well, thanks, thanks Duncan. Thanks, You're thanks. welcome. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for your call. Nice to meet you all. Likewise. You too. Hi. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Josh Fox. Hello, Duncan. My name is Jimmy. I'm from St. Pete. Hi. I just wanted to say thank you to your guest for being so generous and um, giving and... Uh, it was good to hear Diane Fossey's name. She she gave the ultimate sacrifice. And just um, the Sumatran rhinos, is that because of poaching is my question, really. And just tell you. It's guys, a, thank you yeah, it's, it's a combination of habitat destruction, just like we were talking about. And it's a combination of poaching. I, I think those are the two main reasons. Yeah. why we've lost so many animals. I, I saw a statistic recently that we've lost 60% of all species in the last 50 years. I mean, something incredible like that. That's a really, wow. really, really sad and scary things. Well, it's good to hear people that want to help out and, and give. So thank you very much. Thanks for your call. Appreciate it. You know, I wanted to share just a quick little, um, it's not a real story, but I think it's what's inspired me over the years. Okay. Uh, there, there's a story called the starfish story, and, and it goes like this. It only takes me a minute to share it, but I think it's very powerful. What it means is it's two men walking on a beach, and it's a really, really hot day, and they turn the corner of the beach, and what they see is tens of thousands of starfish on the beach and it's so hot that they're all dying. They're baking slowly in the sun on the beach. And the two men are just horrified with what they see. They're, they don't know what to do. It's just, you know, they, they just can't do anything. There's so many of them. And one man grabs a starfish and he tosses it back in the water. And he, he grabs another starfish and he tosses it in the water. And he grabs another starfish and he tosses it in the water. And the man says to him, what are you doing? And he says, I'm saving starfish. And he said, there's so many of them, you can't possibly save them all. And he goes, yeah, but I just saved another one, and I just saved another one. I mean, think about that, right? It's like we can't save all of the animals. We can't rescue all of the animals, but every life matters. And the starfish story, I think, is really powerful in, you know, if every person did a little thing, picked up one piece of plastic every day, like think about the impact that we could have on the world. 
if everybody had the opposite approach, which is it's just one person, it's just one animal, it's just one piece of plastic, I can't possibly do something, then that's the attitude that's going to kill the world. So we got to change people's mentality with the starfish story and say, whatever you can do to help one animal, one piece of trash at a time, please do it. Because if we all do it, it makes such a big impact. For sure. No, that's a really important message that like, hey, don't don't find this so daunting that you're just paralyzed. Do what you can. Throw some starfish back in the water, whatever you can do, because that's progress of a sorts rather than just saying, hey, I'm just overwhelmed. So, uh, Josh, we're sort of nearing the end of our time, but let me ask you a couple quick things, just more logistical maybe about the Brady Hunter Foundation. So... Um, can an organization apply for Brady Hunter support or is it more that just you and your fellow uh, colleagues there uh, find out about an organization, say, hey, look what they're doing, let's let's support them or let's buy them a vehicle or how does that work? Yeah, we get inquiries all the time. Sure. Um, if you're if you're a nonprofit that is doing work in the world of animals and children, and you want to reach out to us, you can do that on our, our our website. You know, we've got a vetting process, so we can decide you know who we can work with. Obviously, we have limited resources and funds; we can't work with everybody. Sure. But if you if you're listening today and you are a nonprofit and you believe in the causes that we believe in, you know, definitely reach out to us. Okay, great. So everything's like fairly considered depending on what the what the uh, vetting process turns up about a certain organization saying, hey, we really need some help here. This is what we do. Here's how we do it. Here's our financial records or 501c3 papers, et cetera. And then from there, I guess you guys decide what you can do to help them if you can. Yeah, it's info at BradyHunter.org. And, you know, we just want to make sure that the organizations that reach out to us, they share our values and our vision and our morals. Gotcha. Okay, I'm going to try to, we got a couple of people holding on. We only have time probably for one more call, but let's try that that right now. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Josh Fox. Hello? Hello, go ahead, it's you. Hi. um, Yeah, I'm calling about uh, the Florida scrub jay which is Florida's only endemic bird. I think this would be a good time to, to bring it up. And what's happening here in Hillsborough County is a rezoning proposal that's going to go in front of the commission in March to pave over and develop the last, pretty much the last 50 acres of decent quality scrub jay habitat in the county. And it's, this is why the... Florida scrub jay is now extinct in most counties, including Hillsborough County, because of overdevelopment. And the Fish and Wildlife Service is working on a recovery plan, but there is absolutely no way we can recover these species if all of the habitat that they require is paved over. Yeah. And I'd like the listeners to know about this and get as involved as they possibly can to um, protest this loss of the last very rare scrub habitat in Hillsborough County. Well, I appreciate it. We're sort of out of, out of time. Is there a website you could send people to that we could find out more or take some action to help out in this regard? Yes. It's, I can tell you, you can contact the county commission and the planning department. It's PD 23-0918. So you can oppose the uh, bulldozing and development of this last parcel of scrub jay habitat. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. It sounds like really a lot of what Josh has been talking about in terms of paving over uh, habitats and just all the impact that we're having. It sounds like the scrub jays are 
in a desperate situation at this point. So thank you so much for your call. Thank you. So, Josh, we have kind of reached the end of our time, but I appreciate you joining us on Talking Animals. This has been Josh Fox from the Brady Hunter Foundation. Again, the website is bradyhunter.org to find out uh, the multitude of organizations they're currently supporting, to inquire about maybe support for your organization or just how you can get involved as a volunteer. And, uh, they, again, they, at the moment they're not taking donations. But um, like If to- there's one word that I would love to leave your listeners with today, and it's okay. the word that I live my life by and try to inspire others by, it's the word kindness. You know, yeah. when you come across a child, when you come across an animal, like kindness to me is the ultimate word. You know, that is just, that's it for me. That's great. That's a perfect point in which to... Uh, to leave this conversation. So Josh, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals. Thanks for all your great works for so many critters and of course the the, uh, children that are also a big part of that mission as well. So really appreciate it. Have a nice day. You too. Thank you. In a moment, I'll talk with Jen Leland, a librarian at Rocky Bluff Library, a branch of the Manatee County Library System. Where they'll be hosting the Barkler, an adoption event this Saturday, February 10th, featuring eligible dogs from Manatee County Animal Welfare. This particular library may not be as quiet as most come Saturday afternoon, but it should be tremendous fun with a slew of eligible dogs, hopefully uh, finding homes. So we'll hear more about that in just a moment here on Talking Animals. Right now, we're going to step into the comedy corner with Nick Turner and a piece not coincidentally called Rescue Dogs. Today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WNN. Okay, well, that's uh, not cooperating right now for whatever reason, but uh, try one more time. All right, well, we're going to have to uh, forego what would have been a fitting piece and uh, be right back with the... Jen Leland here on Talking Animals on talk, talking about the Barkler. Then coming up. Okay, we're going to speak with Jen Leland, librarian at Rocky Bluff Library, branch of the Manatee County Library System, where they'll be hosting the Barkler, an adoption event this Saturday, Feb 10, featuring eligible dogs from Manatee County Animal Welfare. So let's hear the details. Jen herself. This is Jen Leland on Talking Animals on WNS. Morning, Jen. Hello. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. Thanks for having me. For sure. So how did the idea for the the Barkler first come together? Um, well, I was at Publix doing an outreach event, a back-to-school event in August, and I um, ran into uh, one of our... Um, Deputies, uh, Jody Fisk, and um, I spoke to her about working with other departments. Um, she's got so many great contacts, and I spoke to my supervisor, Hal, and we discussed um, how in the past um, Animal Welfare has come out and done events at the library, but it's been a while, so we just thought it would be great. And so I got in touch with Hans over at Animal Welfare and um, he put together this great event. We wanted to make it 
near Valentine's Day and thought it would be cute to do a theme like about, you know, The Bachelor. <laughs> That's so great. So that came together. It's happening this Saturday, Feb 10, from noon to 3. And uh, so I think people tend to think of libraries often at least as quiet, kind of tranquil places, whereas a group of dogs looking for homes would probably be neither. Yeah, I I understand that. We um, actually have dogs come to the library once a month for our Read to Dogs event, and they come in our meeting room, and the kids come and read with them. This event is going to be in our fenced-in backyard area. Okay. And since it's February, it shouldn't be all that hot. So um, the the dogs will be in the backyard and not barking in the library. But uh, we hope lots of people stop by and come to meet the dogs. That's great. Well, sorry we got a little bit of a late start, so we don't have as much time as I had hoped, but because um, we had a technical snag or two. But let's um, let's talk about a couple of basic details. So, how many dogs do you think will be available for adoption at the uh, at the Barkler? Well, um, I spoke to Animal Welfare, and they said that probably about a dozen dogs will be there. Great. Um, each family will get um, a rose, or you know, person will get a rose when they sure. up a fake one. To give to a dog, and this signifies that they um, that they're chosen, and there's going to be no adoption fees um, oh, at the great. site. But if a person comes there and they're interested in adopting a dog um, on Saturday, but maybe they don't meet the one that's just right for their home and their family, yeah. they can take that rose and they can go to the Palmetto um, shelter and still like uh, go there. Oh, it's like a chit. The roses are kind of like a chit. They could still adopt a dog subsequently. Yeah, it's like a little voucher for uh, a a waived adoption fee. Um, So, like, people can go see all of the dogs online. Um, If they go to mymanatee.org slash pets, they can look at all the adoptable dogs and cats Okay, Jen, I'm so sorry we're out of time, but that's this Saturday Saturday the 10th at the Rocky 